As we begin this new year with the craziness, Lord willing, of COVID shutdowns behind us, um, we will once again discuss the covenant commitment that we as pastors are asking you as Calvary Hill to make. We have not done this series um, in two years simply because of the, the chaos that we were kind of in, the, the up and down nature of COVID numbers and sicknesses and not knowing um, how we should meet together and when we should meet together and, and how this should all work. But once again, we're going to discuss my covenant commitment. We as the pastors of Calvary Hill Baptist Church truly believe we have a an idea, a vision of what we want Calvary Hill to look like. Where we want to see Calvary Hill go in accordance with the, the word of God this year and over the next years. But in order for that to happen, we are going to request some very specific things from you. In order for us to be the kind of church that God wants us to be and go where God wants us to go, there are some very specific things that you and you at home must do. We will spend the next several weeks discussing these very specific things, sharing with you what God's word says about these specific things. I'll begin this morning by discussing your participation here at Calvary Hill. The Greek term, ekklesia, is translated church over 100 times in the New Testament. The Greek word, ekklesia, is translated over 100 times as church in the English New Testament. But in some passages of Scripture... In the New Testament, this word ecclesia is not translated church. One of these is Acts 19.32. Here's what I'm going to do. We're going to do a little, we're going to do a little um, participation activity here. I'm going to read Acts 19.32. I want to see if you can spot the English translation of the Greek word ecclesia in this verse I'm about to read you, okay? It's not going to be translated church. I want you to see if you can spot how we translate the word ecclesia in Acts 19.32. Now, some cried out one thing, some cried out another. For the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Any guess as to how the word ecclesia is translated in this verse? Assembly. assembly. It could literally also be translated gathering. And you say, well, then how come in Acts 19.32, it's translated as assembly, or it could be translated as gathering, and then over a hundred times in the New Testament, it's translated church. Well, it's because the word ecclesia literally is translated gathering or assembly. The term is not a religious term. 
It does not mean church or house of the Lord. The term was used in Greek to widely describe any kind of gathering or assembly, whether it was civic, whether it was religious, assembly of soldiers. It could be used in a variety of ways for this gathering or assembly. Simply put, Ecclesia was a gathering of people for a specific purpose, any specific purpose. So when we begin talking about the New Testament Ecclesia, in light of that word, thinking about the body of Christ, we must remember it is an assembling of people For a specific purpose. It is a gathering of God's people for a specific purpose. There is a sense in which we are the ecclesia of Jesus Christ. We are the gathering. We are the assembly of God's people. But if we forget what the term actually means then we can begin thinking that we could be a church without coming to church. Let me say that again. If we remove the original meaning of ecclesia, and we just think about it as church, without the original meaning of assembly or gathering, then what can happen is we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we can be be the church without gathering as the church. But the truth is, you can't be an ecclesia without the gathering. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't somebody who's saved that doesn't go to church. What I'm saying is we can't be the church without meeting together as the church. We cannot be the ecclesia. We cannot be the gathering without gathering. Doesn't make any sense. The word loses all of its meaning and it falls apart. The New Testament definition will not allow us to think that I can sit home by myself watch some video on YouTube, watch an online service, and I've done church. No, you have not. I'm not saying you're not part of the church. I'm saying you haven't done church. You haven't done ecclesia. You haven't done the gathering or the assembling. There's a reason why the gathering of Jesus Christ met on Sunday mornings. Now, I got a little pet peeve. With church on Saturday night light. A Saturday night? I got a little. It perturbs me a little bit. Now, do I think it's some kind of big sin or some kind of no? But I'll say this. I like to know that I'm meeting on Sundays just like the early church did. They didn't believe that Easter was one Sunday every year. That's when most people, that's when a lot of people make it a priority to go to Sunday morning church because that's that's Easter Sunday. So we want to make that a priority. The church believed every Sunday was Easter. 
I believe there is something very important about the church, the gathering, meeting on Sunday mornings. Aligning ourselves up with years of faithful followers of Jesus Christ who have celebrated the Lord's Day, Sunday, Resurrection Day, Easter, every single week together. And what I want to do this morning is I want to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. This is a passage you may be very familiar with, verses 19 to 25. And I want to share five points from this passage about our gathering. Again, I'm not saying that if you can't be a Christian and go to Saturday night church or Friday night church or Saturday Night Live Church. I'm not saying that. But I do think there's something very special about gathering on Sunday mornings. That's why we didn't cancel our service on New Year's Day or Christmas. Hebrews chapter 10. Here's what God's word says in verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that is open for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I want to share five important points about our gathering from this passage of Scripture. Number one, the first thing I want you to see from this passage is that we are to meet together. If we are going to be a gathering ecclesia, we must gather We have to come together. This meeting together, as it says here, this meeting together implies more than just sneaking into a Sunday morning service and sneaking out again without people getting to know you. We have had a family leave this church and tell us The reason why they were leaving is because they wanted to go to a big church where they could just come in, sit in the back, and leave again without anybody knowing who they were. People who were active here desiring that kind of church situation. But this meeting together here implies you can't just do that. It's a kind of meeting where you interact with your brothers and sisters in Christ. 
It's a kind of meeting where you're able to lift each other up. You're able to talk to one another. You're able to say things to one another. Saying things that will show them love, that will help them love, that will encourage their faith, that will give them hope. We're gathering as an assembly for a purpose. And that purpose has with it the interaction of the brothers and sisters. You know, one of the things that I think is happening, you say, well, Neil, why, do, why, why is this an issue? Well, obviously it was an issue back then too. I don't get it twisted and think that, you know, we're the ones struggling now to get people to, to gather together. No, he's going to say in just a minute, it's a habit of some of not gathering together. So this has been an issue. It's not just an issue now. And I think there have been different ways that the, the devil has attacked the, um, the family that makes them more likely to do this. Here's one of the ways that I think it's happening today. I think we are so disconnected from each other at home, we don't understand what family's all about anyway. Like, we don't understand what church family should be about because we don't understand what home family should be about. Our homes are in such disarray in the United States of America, they are so messed up and jacked up that we don't know what family should look like. There's not interaction. There's not community. There's not relationship. There's not fellowship at home. So when the idea of being a household of faith, a family as a church, we have no clue what that's supposed to look like because we don't know what family's supposed to look like at all. So I think we get used to disconnection. Therefore, we don't meet together because we don't see the value in meeting together. Meeting together is supposed to be about showing people love. About helping people love. Encouraging faith. Giving hope. You cannot do that if you slip in and you slip out. I will even argue this. You cannot do that if you only come to Sunday morning service. You need to be a part of a Sunday school small group. Well, you'll get to know people. You can have discussions in class. You can ask questions and other people can help and uplift and you can have fellowships and gather together and you need to do more than just come on Sunday morning to really be the gathering that I'm talking about at 1045. it's, It's more than that. Your participation in Calvary Hill is more than us just wanting you to be here at 1045. Again, church, I have said this when it comes to youth ministry. David and I have talked about this so many times. Last week, we had about 15 kids, 15 teenagers that came upstairs. And I know that it was still in the middle of kind of break stuff. Usually, we'll have 20 to 25 kids, uh, 25 kind of being the most that comes on a, on a Wednesday night. I'm going to tell you a story about when we first moved up to Refuge. When we first moved up to Refuge, we did a series called Vintage Love. It was all about sex, dating, marriage. Every Wednesday night for that series, I had 75 to 80 kids that came. 
every single week. Like we start out, we put 50 chairs out, and the next time we 60 and 70 and 80, and, we, and we, were, we were just filling that place up. When that series ended, we went to a series called Rebellion. The Rebellion was the name of it. And it was about rebelling against the culture of the world. We went from 80 to 40 in like two weeks. I had a bunch of, bunch of you adults were there when we were doing this. You are now adults with children. My back hurt when I said that. What just happened? I said that in my back. My back's were giving out on me. Um, David and I have talked about, we, you know we can get 100 kids upstairs any Wednesday night we want. All I got to do is give them free food, raffle off a PS5, give money away, Oh, you're laughing? Churches do it all the time. Churches are getting people to come to church by raffling off prizes and giving cash money away. Whoever has the most visitors gets $100. What What are we doing? The church is supposed to gather... Not just so we can fill up the chairs in this room. You do know Brother James and I can do things that make sure these chairs are filled. You do know we can, there are things that Brother Brother James and I could do to make sure that this audience is full every single week. We just won't compromise the ecclesia to do it. We won't. Because the ecclesia, the the church, the gathering, it has intentionality to it. It's got a point to it. It's got something that we're supposed to be about. And it's not just about filling up chairs. Now, here's what I believe happens. I believe when we decide we're going to be the ecclesia, God may do something that fill up these chairs. But the ends doesn't justify the means. We're going to do the means right. We're going to ask you as the church to do the means right. And then let's see what God does. Second, avoid the habit of not meeting together. The text says, avoid neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Now, you may hear this and say, well, that sounds like the first point. Not really. There is a difference here. There is a specific difference. The point that is stressed here is that the gathering together is to be habitual. Okay, now I know I'm a pastor, so I know that every Sunday morning it's my job to be here. But my children don't ask me, what are we doing Sunday morning? Like my children don't go, hey, what's happening Sunday? What do you mean what's happening Sunday? We're going to church. The reason why that, because it's a habit now. This is what we do. This is the kind of people we are. But you also can make the reverse a habit as well. Neglecting to come can become a habit. You can make it a habit of not gathering. You can make it a habit of staying home in your pajamas, 
watching us with your coffee in your hand. You haven't brushed your teeth yet. You had not made your hair and, you know, all that stuff. That's comforting. That's easy. Let me ask you this question. Are you in the habit of coming to church but not opening up to anyone or in any way or not engaging with anyone, just coming and going almost unanimously? Or, I will say this, are you comfortable just staying home, watching a service on your phone or on your Apple TV or on your smart TV? Have you made that a habit? Now, some of you may answer yes. And the reason why you've made it a habit is because it is comfortable. It's easy on your flesh. But Paul didn't say make things easy on your flesh. He said crucify it. Kill it. Every day. And again, I'm not talking about missing church every once in a while. Kelly and Taylor joked in, in class today. They were like, oh, we missed last week, and that's when you're going to start talking about church participation? I said, yeah, I just had you on mind when I was thinking about this. Of course not. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about going on vacation and having your family away, and that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about making a habit, about, about missing over and over and over again, not making it a priority. And this should not be, but it is so much a part of people's church attendance. And it's completely normal for people. Uh, the, all the studies say, this was before COVID, so I haven't seen the, the recent studies of COVID, but before COVID, it was not that people, it, it was not that less people were attending church, is that people were attending church less. So church membership wasn't dropping, but church attendance was. And the reason why is because people were coming once a month. Once every couple months. You'll see them here and there. Slip in, slip out. Me mentioning this and telling you that it's wrong to have that kind of attitude and that kind of habit may offend you. I would argue it's only offending you because you've made it your life. And you feel like I'm challenging your life now. I need you to remember, I ain't making this stuff up. These aren't just my ideas. This is what God says. Why? Why is it so important? Because it's good for you to be here. And it's good for us to have you here. So don't get in the habit of not meeting together. And thirdly, meet together all the more. This intimate meeting where we open up to one another and we we love each other and we encourage each other and we give each other hope and strength and faith. We are to do this all the more as we see the day of the Lord drawing near. That's what the text says. We need to do this all the more as we see the day of the Lord drawing near. Now, I take this to mean that we are to be determined to meet and serious about meeting. 
And it will that seriousness and that determination will grow the closer we get to the day of the Lord. Now, let me ask you this question. Didn't hasn't every generation that has ever existed since Jesus resurrection believed they were the generation that was going to see Jesus come back? Every generation. We are not the first generation to be like the signs of the times. Jesus is every generation has said that. My teacher, when I was like five years old, I remember this, y'all, told me, I believe without a doubt Jesus is coming back before I die. She's dead. And Jesus hasn't come back. Now, what I'm not saying is that it's wrong to live that way. That is, in fact, how we should live. Now, I'm not talking about trying to figure out all the signs and all that stuff. I'm just talking about we ought to live in such a way, be about the kingdom in such a way, that when Jesus comes back, we are not surprised. We're like, we're waiting on this. I was about the kingdom yesterday because I was thinking he might come yesterday. I'm going to be about the kingdom today because I think he may come today. So if every generation thought that that was the day of the Lord, then guess how every generation ought to approach the gathering with determination and seriousness. We ought to be, about, we ought to be serious about coming together. We ought to be determined about coming together. And if we think that we're the generation that Jesus is going to come back, then we got to be determined and serious to be here because our work matters. What we do matters. Wouldn't it be awesome if Jesus came back in the middle of one of our gatherings? You know, like we're just we're just in here one Sunday and we're just singing. I will rise when he calls my name. And Jesus comes back right then. Wouldn't that be unbelievable? If if we're together when Jesus comes back? Now, that's the kind of expectation we're to have. Let's be serious about the kingdom. Let's be serious and determined about gathering together frequently. May the Lord find us this way. May the Lord find us this way. Fourthly, we meet together to stir up love. I've already mentioned this, but I want to go into a little bit more detail. We meet together to stir up love in each other, to empower love in each other. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. The second is likened to this, love your neighbor as yourself. It's what we're supposed to be all about. Our flesh is not about it. But who we are in Christ is all about this. Our new hearts are all about this. So what we do when we gather is we gather together so that you can encourage me to love God and love people better. So that I can encourage you to love God and love people better. So that we could encourage one another to empower love in our lives. So that when we leave here, people see our good works and glorify Father who is in heaven. You know what it says? Stir up one another in love and good works. So we're supposed to be stirring up love for each other so that when we leave here, our love is empowered. We love God in front of people and we love the people with God. And then people say, what is up with this group from Calvary Hill? 
Well, it's because we're empowering one another to, to love and to good works when we gather. There's an intentionality with this. The, the word consider here, when it says consider, consider. In verse 24, this word carries with it the idea of doing something on purpose. Many times when we come to church, we don't know what we're going to do when we get here. Like, I mean, we know we're going to go to class and we know we're going to come and we're going to sing and somebody's going to preach. And... But what am I supposed to do when I get here? You know, Brother James hasn't given me a specific role. He hasn't given me a specific thing that I'm supposed to do this Sunday. What am, what am I supposed to do? The writer of Hebrews would say, you need to consider before you even get here how you're going to encourage somebody to love and good works. Do it on purpose, with intentionality. Think about it. Lord, lay, lay somebody on my heart that I need to encourage today. And then when you see them here, go up to them. Say, hey, I just want to let you know the Lord laid you in my heart today. I just want to let you know I love you. Keep the faith. Keep going on. Keep holding on. I don't know. Is there something going on in your life that, that you need some specific prayer for? I, I want to be there. I want to be there to pray that for you. Consider looking for ways to stir love up in somebody. And then lastly, we meet together to strengthen faith in the promises of God. I think the main way that we can stir up love in one another is to strengthen each other's faith in the promises of God. I think these two are connected. I think the, the consider, consider to stir one another up in love and good works, I think that is connected to what comes right before it. Look at it with me. Verse 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope Without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. I believe there is an implication there that when we gather together, we are to encourage one another to hold fast to our faith in the promises of God. That God is faithful in his promises. And the, the, the main way we stir up love in each other is to remind each other of the faithfulness of the promises of God. As I'm talking to that person, and that person shares with me, here's what's going on in my life. The main way I'm going to stir that person up to love and good works is to remind them, listen, I know this is difficult and hard. Man, it, it's terrible. I hate this for you. But let me remind you of the goodness of God. Let me tell you what God has done in my life. Or, hey, remember what God did last time? He's faithful to you. He loves you. Be encouraged. Have hope. Strengthen your faith. God is good. He's sovereign. He's in charge. He's going to take care of you. All of a sudden, that person leaves here empowered with love. Church, listen to me. If all we do in 2023 is just 
come to this building, what's the point? They get better attendance down at American Airlines Center for Maverick Games or Cowboy Games, and there's a whole bunch of people that can gather up in a building. If this is just some thing you're doing, what's the point? Brother James has said this around here for years, and I don't know if he made this up or stole it from somebody or what. I don't know. (laughs) There's nothing new under the sun. God is not interested in adding church to your life. He wants to add your life to the church. He wants you to come gather as the ecclesia, bringing your life into this place. Because if we're just gathering to go through motions and do some religious things, what's the point? You know what I mean? Do something better with my time on Sunday mornings. But if we are going to have our ecclesia, if if we are going to have our gathering be a time where we stir one another up to love and good works by encouraging and strengthening each other's faith in the promises of God, there is nothing we should be doing more important on Sunday mornings than being here. If we're doing this thing right, doing anything else is a waste of time. And you see, you see why God says, don't make it a habit of not coming. Don't make it a habit of not coming. It's not so, so that God can brag to the demons, look how many people I got in church. It's because God knows the best way for us to be enabled and strengthened to glorify Him is to be together so we can love and encourage one another, lift each other up, pray for each other, hold each other accountable. That's another reason why people like to come in, slip in, slip out. I don't want anybody holding me accountable. This kind of gathering that is intimate and personal. Opening up space in your life so that other people can step into it. Opening up your heart so that other people can step into it. And then as other people are opening up their space and their heart, you get to step into theirs. A space where you could actually stir somebody up. You know, you you can't stir anything from a distance. You got to be right there. I, I want us as a church to be everything that God wants us to be, everything that He has commanded us to be. 
I have dreams. Not like real, sometimes they're, they're real dreams. Of, uh, of, of this church and the future of this church. And sometimes I wake up and I'm like, is that like a real thing from God or is that just my imagination? Or, you know, I don't know. There's no Joseph around to help interpret it right now. Or Daniel. We talked about Daniel. Um, And I don't know if all of those things are what God really has. But I know this. Whatever God has for us, it won't be accomplished unless you are persistent in your participation at this church. If you've made it a habit of staying home and just watching us on the internet, stop it. Stop it. It's not good for you. If you can be here, get here and be here. You need us and we need you. If you made a habit of being here every other week or being here once a month, stop it. It's not good for you. It's not good for us. Stop it. If we're going to be what God intends for us to be, if we are going to stir one another up to good love and good works, we're going to build our, our, our hope in the promises of God. We must do this with frequency and seriousness as we wait for the day of the Lord. That could be today. Could be next week. So let's be serious. Let's be determined to participate in what's going on here at church. It's good for you. It's good for us, it's good for the world, and it glorifies Jesus.